Hi, everybody. This is Sarah Westcott. This is Katie Willie. And this is To Be Read. The podcast where we talk about books and the cocktails that go with them. Hi, how's it going? Good, how are you? I feel like I'm, I'm sitting closer to you than normal. We, we are for no. a reason, but we'll discuss that later. Don't um, sniff too well. I'm doing all right. How are you, Katie? What's going on? Anything uh, new? No. No, I don't like... I'm, uh. I know, I know. I it's feel like don't... we don't usually do Mondays, but I feel like we've done Mondays, and then I always say we don't do Mondays, but we do Mondays. I know, and like we've been talk, we've kind of been talking all day too, so it's not like we have anything yeah. new to share with each other. Have you been reading any books? <laughs> I did. Um, I read The Villa, which was the shit. Who is that? Oh, how about you? You go first. Okay. Um. Well, I have to shoot my freaking books. We suck at this. Oh my god. I wrote We're down the ready. villa and the nicest couple. I wrote them down. I just I went through a bunch because I was like I was bored at work one day, so I just started going through Goodreads and just like clicking on books that I have read, done. and it fucking pops up like yeah, as your books. It's... Yeah. So now it's all fucking screwed my shit up. So yeah. I don't know. I don't remember okay. what I've read honestly. Per- so personally. I read the villa by Rachel Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really cute. It was kind of on the same vibe as. Um, um, Daisy Jones and the Six, but it was more like current. Gotcha. And like an old rock and roll story okay. of, of people that went to um, a villa, yeah. oddly enough, um, in Italy. And there was like a, a murder that happened in the 60s. And then these people are trying to relive it. And it was it was good. I liked it. Okay, that sounds fast. Pretty, that's pretty awesome, actually. Um, I read Just the Nicest Couple by Mary Kubica. That was meh. <laughs> Not great. Um, and then I just finished Mr. Magic by Kirsten White, which I actually read after Killers of the Flower Moon. But yes. It was so good, and you will love it. And it brought you back from your uh, Killers of the Flower Moon funk, or what? Uh, I mean, it wasn't so much of a funk as it was like that one was really exciting for me to read. Yeah, and got it you. was, it dragged me in, and like it's all about. This quote unquote childhood TV show that everybody grew up watching, mm-hmm. but there's nothing on the internet about it. Bro, this is a creepypasta. This is a creepypasta. She okay. took this, she stole this from a creepypasta okay, story. Okay, that's fine. And she wrote a fantastic story about it. Okay, I'm interested because I actually, I, so this was a creepypasta story and. It actually, they made it into a TV show that was on sci-fi. So you might have to see if you what can find out. Oh, God. What the it's fuck? It's like channel, channel 99 or some shit like that. I can't remember exactly what it is. But me and John watched it. And actually, it was really, it was pretty creepy and, and good. Um, so I'm curious. I'm going to have to, I, it's on my TV Red list. So I'll read it at some point. But it, Kirsten White being the same person who the wrote Hyde. Hyde. Yes. Which, if you recall, Hyde had that, like, undercurrent of, like, hot button topics. Yes. That she would, she'd use the subtext about it so she didn't blatantly come out and say this is about this fucking shit right here yeah it was just under the surface under the surface was that similar yes okay all right interesting okay yeah it's definitely on my list so i'll have to read it now that i know it's she she took it from a creepypasta i will uh for sure um so i did the only one that i can think of that i read off the top of my mind was um something that's been sticking with me for a while and it's actually a tj clune book which tj clune wrote um Um, there's beyond the, Cer- the Cerulean Sea. What is, it? is that? <laughs> yep, the, whatever. Something like that. Um, but this one was called Under the Whispering Door, and it was um, like I said, it's it's gonna stick with me for a while. It's about um these people who, basically like fairy um, people who have passed away, like from here until to the to the next to the beyond, like whatever is beyond. It's not like you know, it's it's not anything about like there being a. It's pretty 
agnostic, honestly. You know, like there's nothing, they, they never say what is beyond. It's really just your interpretation of what's beyond. But um, like it was an absolutely beautiful story. I fucking sobbed for like hours afterwards. Oh. It's it was it was really, I'm really sure good. I just read that one too. It's very good. It's okay. very good. I definitely recommend it. It I got through it pretty quickly because I could I couldn't put it down. So um okay. I just love like the like the the tales he paint like the 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 stories he weaves like mm-hmm. it's so it's so 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 good just all the people you really you really enjoy getting into their lives and learning who these people are gotcha. they're always so quirky it's you know it's the same like each time but um so it's great so i, I think that's all we really have to to do for our preamble do you want to just jump into the prologue and, yeah let's go yeah all right the prologue. so before we jump into our prologue, we do have a guest. We have a guest with us today. <laughs> what was that? We, I don't know what that was. <laughs> that was awkward as fuck. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I apologize. I'm a fucking extremely awkward person. Anyway, our guest today is producer Chris. Welcome, producer Chris, to the show. Um, the reason why you are with us today is because we read Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran, and you were the one who suggested that we read it. And um, so, of course, we wanted to have you on with us and and get your input on the on the book. And Katie says that she doesn't have much to say about it. <laughs> I know. I didn't say I have not much. Well, I did say I don't have much to say about it. I don't have, like, a lot of notes. My notes are very yeah. brief. Like, page 87, this guy is hot. Like that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I have oh, that. I would, I would just say before we dive into that, a few things. I am sharing my screen. Can you see that? Is I... that what you were talking about? What? Channel 99, something from 2021. Yes. Joe Sherlock's loving homage to growing up in the 80s, watching the afternoon and late movies on Showtime and local TV channels. Packed to the brim with horror and sci-fi goodness. Yes, that's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, yes, it looks like it piques your interest a little. It's really, it's really, really creepy. F- FYI, we can't see what you're looking at. I don't know oh, if that's whatever. But... I, I put it in the chat too, just if oh, you want. Okay. It's just a link okay. to IMDb for but channel. Yes, that that's definitely what it was, and it was it's an interesting interesting thing to watch, and you know. Um, Taking a couple edibles and watching it was pretty freaky. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. um, let me just do my do my quick uh, my quick facts for Killers of the Flower Moon, and then Katie can do the run, read a rundown, and we'll and we'll get started. We'll drink our drink and everything. So the book is um, Killers of the Flower Moon, and it is about the um, again. Please tell me if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Os- Os- Osage, Osage. I said Osage. I don't know if yeah. that's- Sam, do you have any idea? Osage, the Osage tribe. I don't know the the official thing. I just remember the movie from a few years ago, Osage, uh, August County, there with gotcha. like Julia Roberts in it, oh, yes. and I'm pretty sure that's Osage. I guess I could gotcha. look it up. All right, that makes sense. Um, okay, so that tribe developed in the Ohio and the Mississippi River Valleys around 700 BC, which I thought was fucking crazy. It's weird. You'd think that we just moved them there. Yes, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Um, and Osage uh, roughly translates to calm water. Um, and as most people know, there is a movie coming out. It's coming out in October. And Leo plays Ernest Burkhart and um, Robert De Niro plays William Hale. So that'll be very I interesting. I want to say I saw some comment that Leo was supposed to play somebody else. And he was like, nope, I don't want that guy. I want the other oh, guy. Oh, I wonder if maybe he wanted to play William Hale and he wanted to be the um, the I, husband instead. I think, mm, yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, okay, so. Yeah, when yeah. I was seeing the trailer, I was very curious as to who Leo was playing. And that was even after like two weeks after I read the book and yeah. I couldn't 
really remember everyone's names. I checked it, I checked it out on IMDb last night just to make just to double check. But um, yeah. yeah, so Katie, why don't you give us a reader rundown and then we'll drink our drink. This is like a reader novel rundown. So in the 1920s, the richest people per capita in the world were members of the Osage Indian Nation in Oklahoma. After oil was discovered beneath their land, they rode in chauffeured automobiles, built mansions, and sent their children to study in Europe. And one by one, the Osage began to be killed off. The family of an Osage woman, Molly Burkhart, became a prime target. Her relatives were shot and poisoned, and it was just the beginning, as more and more members of the tribe began to die under suspicious circumstances. In this last remnant of the Wild West, where oil men such as J.P. Getty made their fortunes, and where desperados such as Al Spencer, the Phantom Terror, roamed, many of those who dared to investigate the killings were themselves murdered. As the death toll climbed to more than 24, the relatively new FBI took over. It was one of the organization's first major homicide cases, but the Bureau badly bungled the investigation. In desperation, the young director, J. Edgar Hoover, turned to a former Texas Ranger named Tom White to unravel the mystery. White put together an undercover team, including an American Indian agent in the Bureau. Together with the Osage, they began to expose one of the most chilling conspiracies in American history. In Killers of the Flower Moon, David Grant revisits a shocking series of crimes in which dozens of people were murdered in cold blood. Based on years of research and startling new evidence, the book is a masterpiece of narrative nonfiction as each step in the investigation reveals a series of sinister secrets and reversals. But more than that, it is a searing indictment of the callousness and prejudice toward American Indians that allowed the murders to operate with impunity for so long. Killers of the Flower Moon is utterly compelling, but also emotionally devastating. Wow. I definitely want to say... You should have read mine. You should have read mine. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the same thing. It just... It was like the Cliff's Notes version. But um, yeah. Um, so, okay, Katie, talk about our drink because you... So, Chris, you're the one that picked this drink. So you want to go ahead and tell us what you picked? Yeah, I did. So, you know, I'm not a big cocktail drinker, but you had we had bandied about a couple ideas, um, none of which sounded very good to me. So I was, you know, I went a little too literal with it, but I'm like, okay, oil, black gold. I was like, there's got to be some sort of black gold cocktail. So I scanned through a couple of them and found one that is, you know, it's a cinnamon whiskey with some blackberry liqueur and some lemon stirred or shaken on ice and then topped with some club soda. Black gold So I got diet tonic water. Yeah, I got I got diet tonic water. I don't think that's the yeah. same thing. I know I have Google on my phone. I just don't use it. Um, I like to experience life a little more complicated. I do have my TV yeah, red. Yeah, I got my TV go. red glass. All right, let's Cheers. taste it, everybody. Let's see what we're, what we're working with here. Great. I took a giant sip. Ooh, that's tasty. I like it. It's very tart. Mine's tart. Sim, is yours tart? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I think I put too much lemon <laughs> juice in mine. I but mean, you can okay. you definitely got our fireball. I, yeah, you can. You can like water it down a little more. Oh, you guys went. You guys went fireball? Listen. Yes. I'm morally opposed to it, but you can buy it at the gas station. Yes, you can, yeah, us, you can so buy I it guess. anywhere pretty much. Listen, it's this might be, might be the not real cheapest, cheapest ingredients. <laughs> I, I found some mini like airplane bottles of uh, like Jack Daniels cinnamon, oh. and I couldn't find blackberry liqueur, but I did get some Chambord, which... Considering I've never had a real one, I won't know if it's not the real thing. It's all so. good. This is literally how we do our drinks. We, yep. we always fucking switch them up, so I'm oh, not worried about it. Oh, I know. I'm just, you know, like I said, I don't drink a lot of cocktails for my own health. <laughs> um, it's pretty good. 
All right. Not bad. So, and I also I got I made I made a double of it so I wouldn't have to come back up here. I just got smart. a shaker that's bottle smart. today. It Me is and Katie are just going with one today because we um, do have book club after this and we need to be coherent. Yeah, we for got that a, as well. a lot of books, and a lot of talking to do. <laughs> right. Um. So with that, we're gonna move on to the story. Yeah. Okay. The story. The story. Exactly. Um. So I, I'm do gonna it. Sim just because you're our guest today. Like, what may a what made you pick this book mm. and um like did you enjoy it personally? Yeah. So I chose this book because a few years back I read, I believe his first novel, The Lost City of Z. And it's not a novel. It's very similar to this. It is, it's historical nonfiction. It's part historical kind of travelogue. And then also he catches up in the present day to kind of follow up on the mystery. So The Lost City of Z, uh, they made a movie about it. It had Charlie Hunnam in it and which I have never seen it still to this day. Uh, but I thought the book was, in, was really enjoyable. Uh, the story of this English colonel from like the you know late 1800s who gets obsessed with finding this lost city of Z in the heart of the Amazon. Um, and a, pre a few years prior to that, I read a book called River of Doubt, which details Teddy Roosevelt's own journeys through the Amazon in the early 1900s. And it's just riveting because it's like the most dangerous yeah. place on Earth. Probably still is, but it definitely <laughs> was back then. I mean, every single thing is actively trying to kill you um and so i was i really enjoyed that book and then i know you guys love true crime the movie was coming out right yeah. i kept seeing the trailers and i said well you know what i probably will see that i liked his first book i'll probably read this one. Oh, and also you guys would probably like it too so why don't we just why don't we just make it an episode so i i did a cardinal sin i did listen to it on audiobook um which i you know, as a side note, I want to discuss a little later about audiobooks because I found towards the end of this one, I like kind of lost a lot of focus, especially because they changed narrators a oh, couple times. Weird. So it's like, oh, different acts almost, um, which I, I get it right. It kind of breaks up the story. But I know kind of when it hit, especially once they like solved the mystery, I'm like, OK, like for me, I'm, I'm kind of over this. But overall, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good story, but very similar to you, Katie. And I think I had kind of said this in our group chat, like no spoilers, but like I don't really have like much to say about this. You know, if it was unsolved, maybe that'd be one thing. But like you solved, they solved it, you know, and of course, the, the huge part of it is about how poorly they had mistreated the Osage and. Similar to like something like the Tulsa riots I was gonna say, or, I was like, in like nineteen twenty one. There's like 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 a really seemingly a very important part of American yes. history is just completely absent from school, right? That there was that not only that the Osage Indians were like the, the most the wealthiest people in probably in the entire world during this period of time. They lived unimaginable wealth and luxury that like I never had any idea that the indigenous people Same lived agreed. like that. You know, in relatively modern times, I mean, I know it was pre-atomic age, but still, you know, they had electricity, they had cars, and yet just we had no idea about I, it, it, you know. Or it's funny because I, I was struck by, I was struck by while reading it, like how recent that it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not like we're talking 1800s, 1700s here, we're literally talking barely early 1900s, yeah, barely, barely 100 mm -hmm. years ago, exactly. And, like, as I was reading it the whole time, like you said, Sim, it made me think of the Tulsa Massacre um, a, a lot. Because, A, it happened very close yep. in time to that. And, B, it, I mean, it's just... Geographically yes, close geographically too, yeah. close as well. And it's just very, um, it's just very similar. Like everything that happened is very similar. Um, you know, this, this, this Tulsa yeah. stuff happened because this was a booming black town and people were not 
fans of the black people having the money. And it was the same with the, the American Indians here in this situation. So I don't know. It's, it's crazy how many yeah. parallels there I, are. I know that I'm, I know I'm probably more of the history person focused here, but it is just interesting to me that I have this weird black hole in American history from like basically like 1900 up until the end of World War II, where like, of course, you know about the Great Depression and like the bank crash and all that stuff. But what you read about in and, you know, it's like, oh, everybody was so destitute, this and that. But it's like, well, actually, maybe like a third of the country was unemployed. Yes, nobody yeah. had much, but there were still people, very rich people like the Roaring Twenties happened. And like, obviously, we know about that. But it's just kind of weird. So like when, especially with the Osage, when they're talking about like, oh, they had these these great Studebakers and like these Rolls Royces that were chauffeured. And it's like, oh, right, I forget that. Obviously, the Model T is there and you assume that the rich people have it. But lots of people had vehicles at that time. We just, I don't know. It's just like an odd part of history where it's still very rugged, right. of course, but yet you're getting these new modern conveniences that are changing everything. I can everything, fully right? appreciate that because, A, I'm not a history person. So, like, I have a really hard time ever remembering when cars were actually invented. So anytime <laughs> I read something and they have cars, I'm like, oh, shit, they didn't just have horses and buggies at that point. Like, it's all just nobody had cars until everybody had cars and TVs, but it didn't happen like yeah. that. It just yeah. did in my mind. Yeah. And they even, yeah. like, it's funny, like, there's parts in, in the book where they talk about how, you know, and I think a lot of this was white people disparaging against the Indians, but it's, it was like, oh, if they get a flat tire, they just buy a new car, blah, blah, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, there's, I mean, there's, there's just... a shit ton of people that do that now anyway. Yeah, <laughs> like... <laughs> pretty much. And they're all fucking white. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, well, even I mean, just talking about that, right? I mean, I know we do want to talk a little bit about the book and not just about the world in general, but it is kind of funny how if the Osage, let's say if they would have, I won't even say stayed within their means, right? Because white people who have the same exact wealth would have done the exact same thing that they did, which is just human nature, right? I have a lot of money. I'm going to spend it because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so does absolute wealth, you know? Um, but it is, yeah, I just... Just it's like how hypocritical that that the the white people there were like, oh yeah, we're kicking you off this land because we you know we think it's going to be really good for us, and then we're we're going to put you as garbage. And well, actually, no, we we yeah, sent you to paradise, and we, we ended up in hell. Yeah, yeah. And so now just you know, of course all the the racial and the the just the mm -hmm. jealousy that right that like oh, we man we we really messed this one up, well, and now we're gonna get it back we're gonna exact our revenge yes, any and, way and, we can which is by yes, murdering but, and, they, and they started by making it so they're you know they had to, each indian had to have a proxy basically yeah. a white person proxy you're not, to you're be, not smart enough mm -hmm. to handle this yes, conservatorship. Yes, exactly. it's conservatorship we, we see this today except it was on yes, a mass yeah. scale and I'm, I'm sure that you could draw plenty of parallels to those exact same sorts of systems in place today for maybe not indigenous folks, but I don't know, people who get their kids taken right. away or whatever for little reason. Hey, it's I'm sure you got a whole bunch of socioeconomic and Absolutely. racial factors that Absolutely. played into that. Right. You know, I just want to say that my drink is a lot different. Ours color is, than ours yours definitely is. Looks I just know you're gold. Looking, I, that's gold. I must have put too much. So you put too much it. lime juice and too much chambord in it. I mean, you got to pay attention to the the, the what color was you, well, what color was your Jack whiskey? Because we are also using Fireball. Oh, that could be it too. It was a dark. Oh green. yeah, that's 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 it. That's the that's the. My cinnamon whiskey, dark, dark green. All right, Katie looks like she wants to read. So something. I really, I just want to start with the very first chunk, which explains what the 
Flower Moon is because I thought that that was going to be a huge yeah. component of it, and it really. You know. I would say a little more disappointing that it was just. I guess I won't say disappointing. Lyrical, yeah. sure, but it's like I kind of wanted a little every oh, every year that this happened. This guy, you know, yeah, it's going to yeah. be. So in April, millions of tiny flowers spread over the Blackjack Hills and vast prairies in the Osage Territory of Oklahoma. There are Johnny Jump Ups and Spring Beauties and Little Bluets. The Osage writer John Joseph Matthews observed that the galaxy of petals makes it look as if the gods had left confetti. In May, when coyotes howl beneath an unnervingly large moon, taller plants, such as spiderworts and black-eyed Susans, begin to creep over the tinier blooms, stealing their light and water. The neck of the smaller flower breaks and their petals flutter away, and before long they are buried underground. This is why the Osage Indians refer to May as the time of the flower-killing moon. That's interesting. Which I just really appreciated the fact that he started with that. I love, like, I've always loved, like, stories that, like, Indians have created, like, like creation stories. Like, those have always been the kind of things that stuck with me as yeah. a kid, you know? Because like because it's very spiritual and it's very earthbound yes, and, yes. and mother nature Freaking, and... I love it. I love that shit. I think it's you know, I if we were just saying I'm the more history focused person here. I don't, you know, I don't watch like old sitcoms or whatever to relax. I watch what I call garbage TV, being like shows like Ancient Aliens and like pop. You know, it's it's technically like science based, but it's more like just throwing random stuff at the wall. But there was this one where you you watch some of these things, and all these cultures have very similar. Uh, there's certain cataclysmic events that have happened, right? Like Noah's flood maybe wasn't biblically derived, but there was absolutely a major flood right. that happened that people disparate in every different continents, everyone has the same story. So like, I don't know. I just, I find these, it's similar to what we're talking about with the cars earlier. Some of these ancient civilizations had like fairly advanced technology. They didn't have electricity, but they the had, pyramids. we're not... <laughs> They built the pyramids and, and like the Romans 2000 years ago, like we're still using stuff that they right. did today. Like, you know, we put metal or in electricity on it, but like the same exact concepts behind physics and chemistry. Like, it's just, it's just very cool. And yeah, to, to set the story like this off on kind of, it's almost like mythical, right? Kind of like a fairy tale almost, um, you know, it's like setting up this kind of almost ominous portent yeah. for, the rest of the story and i guess you know if there's a little like i said a little disappointed that the the whole flower moon Didn't aspect really of back. it couldn't have been a little more tied through but again like it, he's just setting the table um but it was yeah it's 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 an interesting way to start to start your story yeah. and then just yeah right from there they just people just start yeah. dying yeah like immediately immediately and i i have i have a lot of i actually did flag a lot of like quotey things um my first one is immediately on the start of chapter two and on page 18 of my book. I don't know if, you know, your guys is probably going to be a little bit different than mine or whatever. Um, but um, basically, you know, it's just right after, you know, the talking of the first, the first killings. And uh, it says for years after the American revolution, the public opposed the creation of police departments, fearing that they would become forces of repression. Instead, citizens responded to a hue and cry by chasing after suspects. Um, how, how, fucking ridiculous like <laughs> i mean seriously to to know that this is why people didn't want like people were opposed of for for police and now it's exactly happened <laughs> like and it's happening it's, it's weird why didn't we uh, stick with that yeah yeah i mean i don't think you can have like mm -hmm. you know you you can't have like vigilantes and militias running around like crazy and you know trying to take the law into their own hands i understand the need for like it to be 
there to be something, obviously. But it's so funny that clearly what what they thought was going to happen happened mm-hmm. without question. So like I just you know immediately that stuck out to me, and I was just like, oh wow, okay, yeah. So they did exactly what they thought what we thought they were gonna do. <laughs> yeah, the the thing in that early part of the book that also came to my mind was that. You know, your undertakers were also your medical examiners, were also your carpet cleaners, were also your vetted like people in people in these towns, it's just like someone has to do this job and hey, you're right you're there. Right. So you're doing it now. Good. And it's like, hey, investigate this murder for me. Uh okay. Yeah. I don't know. Looks like she got hit yeah. in the back of the head yeah. with something and died. Super okay, crazy done. that like it, it, it was super crazy, like the talking about, you know, the the coroners and stuff, and it's just like how how do they like What's the technology back then to know, like, how someone died? I, I understand, yes. like, you know what I mean? Like, your best guess. Exactly. But exactly. also, and clearly, I mean, it didn't they matter. Were, they were in on it anyway. It, right. So it, it didn't, didn't matter. Really matter. It didn't matter anyway because they were part of the plot to get rid of the Indians. But, like, you know, yeah. whatever. It's just super crazy. Super crazy. But, um... well, yeah. I mean, right. Even 500 years ago, your illnesses were, like, due to bad humors in your blood, yeah. you know? <laughs> it took a long time of. Actual, you know, the scientific method that came about in the Enlightenment before people actually found ways to study this stuff through repeatable, right, repeatable right. methods. Um, and somewhere out in the middle of of Oklahoma, you know, if this happened in New York City, it'd right. be a lot different, right? New York City or, or in maybe even Dallas or Kansas City itself, you would probably have learned doctors and specialists who would probably been able to assist but of course they didn't want the truth to right. come out. So it was just convenient for them that, you know, dumb and dumber were your. Yeah. Your and it's, and it's honestly kind of shocking to me too, in a sense that like anybody felt any, any, anybody felt the need really to even investigate these crimes because clearly so many people didn't care, didn't give up. wanted them dead anyway. Yeah. So it, it was, it's like kind of surprising in a sense that the FBI or the Bureau of Investigation that was, as it was called back then, even got involved in this kind of thing. I think the one thing that they did have going for them though, is that they were the people that had the money. Like Correct. granted they might yeah. not have had it yeah. fully under control, but they did have the money and that always tends to. So. Well, and really, I mean, I think I, mean, I may be misremembering this, but it, like everything was kind of under the radar till they started killing like investigators and and all right. that other stuff, right? And even if you think about it, going from you know into Kansas City or something, well, now you're crossing mm-hmm. state lines, right, right. etc. You know, there has to be some attention paid sure, to that if, stuff. Yeah. If you're throwing people off the train, right? Exactly. You know? Yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy. Fact that he had to be naked, I thought was hilarious. I know. <laughs> Um, I do oh, yeah. want to read like a little bit of a long passage, but Your it kind of like it, it brings out the um, uh, I'm at I'm page, page 40 and 41 okay. to start of, uh, like start right of four. OK, um, so I'm sorry, this is going to be a little long, but I thought it was interesting. Um, in 1803, President Thomas Jefferson purchased from the French the territory of Louisiana, which contained lands dominated by the Osage. Jefferson informed his secretary of the Navy that the Osage were a great nation and that we must stand well because in their quarter, we are miserably weak. In 1804, a delegation of Osage chiefs met with Jefferson at the White House. He told the Navy secretary that the Osage, whose warriors typically stood well over six feet tall, were the, quote, finest men we have ever we have ever seen, unquote. At the meeting, Jefferson addressed the chiefs as, quote, my children, and said, it is so long since our forefathers came from beyond the great water that we have lost the memory of it and we and seem to have grown out of this land as you have done. We are all now of one family, he went on. On your return, tell your people that I take them all by the hand, that I become their father hereafter, that they shall know our nation only as friends and benefactors. 
But within four years, Jefferson had compelled the Osage to relinquish their territory between the Arkansas River and the Missouri River. The Osage chief stated that his people had no choice. They must either sign the treaty or be declared enemies of the United States. Over the next two decades, the Osage were forced to cede nearly 100 million acres of their ancestral land, ultimately finding refuge in a 50 by 125 mile area in southern southeastern Kansas. And it was in this place where Molly's mother and father had come of age. So like... It's so it's so ridiculous, you know. Obviously, I know that you know our country was built literally on the backs of on the back of racism. You know, it, it is what it is. And like Thomas Jefferson coming out and saying, you know, oh, these are our great people, our great people. This is a, yeah, and then then <laughs> never mind. Sorry, you have to give up the this uh, land for white people who need to settle here. Like fuck you. I'm like this is so gross. It's it's. You know what? It's like one of the first instances of CEO speak, right? Oh, we love everyone. Yeah, we're going through some tough times. We're not laying anyone off. And then three months later, oh, it kills me. But we got to lay off the lowest paid people in the company who do all the work. Oh, man, it's so tough. But we got to do it. And it's like, that was your plan all along. along. Right. Same, same though. My children. Oh, yeah. They were afraid of you because, you know, without guns, you guys would have been destroyed by the Osage if they wanted. Yeah, and, that's, to. and that's what they said. You know, they literally but, said we have to do it. Otherwise, we're going to be enemies of the United States and we do not have the means of fighting them. Like, there's no way we, there's nothing we can do. It's disgusting. Like, it's this like it. It just it's upsetting when you're when you're an American and you look back on this stuff and you're just like, wow, this country really was built on bullshit like on literal bullshit on what we want and yeah don't give a fuck about what anybody else and and the blood and of other people that you know didn't deserve it so my my next quote is literally like the following page where so it just goes is it about laura ingles wilder yes Yes! that's mine too (laughs) (laughs) the osage had been assured by the u.s government that their kansas territory would remain their home forever but before long they were under siege from settlers among them was the family of Laura Ingalls Wilder, who later wrote Little House on the Prairie based on her experiences. Why don't you like that? Like Indians, Ma, Laura asked her mother in one scene. I just don't like them. And don't like your floor- fingers, Laura. This is Indian country, isn't it? Laura said. What did we come to their country for if you don't like them? One evening, Laura's father explains to her that the government will soon make the Osage move away. That's why we're here, Laura. White people are going to settle all this country and we get the best land because we get here first and take our pick. Though in the book, the Ingleses leave the reservation under threat of being removed by soldiers, many squatters begin to take the land by force. In 1870, the Osage, expelled from their lodges, their graves plundered, agreed to sell their Kansas lands to settlers for $1.25 an acre. Nevertheless, impatient settlers massacred several of the Osage, mutilating their bodies and scalping them. An Indian affairs agent said, the question will suggest itself, which of these people are the savages? Correct. And that's not even the murdering of the Osage that this whole book is actually about. Exactly. It's, that's just the, that's the, the, the start. preamble. Yes, that's the preamble stuff. Like, yeah, it's 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 obscene. Um, yeah, this is before the, before the Osage strike gold. You know, like yep. hit hit the yeah. black. So this gold, was when so. they were still in Kansas, and they were like, um, actually, nope, keep going. Just yeah. get out. Yeah, get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if there was. I mean, I like you know. Admittedly, I don't know much about um, the American Indian experience. Like, I obviously know, I know plenty of history involved, you know, involved in it, unfortunately. Um, But I'm reading this, I was struck by, like, wondering whether or not other tribes dealt with this much displacement and, like, movement. I I was so curious about that. So if you're familiar with the, if you're familiar just of concept of the Trail of Tears... 
uh, that were driving, I believe, the Cherokee from essentially where they were at, like in Nebraska, up into perhaps the Dakotas yeah. or in the Wyoming. Uh, just a miserable death march of either you die or yeah. you have to move. I thought there were some that got moved from right? Florida, just, too, like moved from Florida to Oklahoma. Yeah, and I, right, I, I may be mis misremembering I mean, or I, misspeaking, but this, yeah, these these forced passages they happen all the time, especially in this time, right? In the 1860s and 70s, once the Civil War ended and they started, you know, really pushing West. Um, yeah, it was a huge issue. I actually watched a a real program about the, uh, you know, the, the Transcontinental Railroad. And that has a lot to do with that as well, because all that was very similar to them being like, oh, we got to get here first. When they were putting in the railroad, the the railroad barons like wrote into the contract like any natural materials underneath our claim becomes ours in perpetuity so they knew enough rough geography and geology to be like okay we're pretty sure there's oil here and there so if you think about how the transcontinental railroad was put into place it is probably very windy twisty turvy through the middle of the country when it could have been much more direct because they got paid by the mile and they got to keep all the oil that was underneath it and we think that like CEOs are bad nowadays, and like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are really cutthroat. One of those is more we should read about some the of like these. <laughs> oh, some of the well, cringy, yes, but like some of these, you know, talk about like really cutthroat maneuvers that these guys would do. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, just for their own problem. there will be blood types. Well, stuff, that's the right? thing, you know. <laughs> that's, that's the thing you always talk about. It's just like there, there's a reason why certain people have billions of dollars, and like it's because they're not very good people in general. Like, I mean. You know, they they are willing to do things that other people are not willing to do. Um, point blank. Yeah. And like we were talking about the wealth, right? And I know it goes forward in the book. It, you guys may have other things to discuss, but it was very interesting when they had that auction scene where it's like three or maybe two thirds of the way through the book where it's like some of these guys sit out until it gets to like five, mm -hmm. 10 million. It's like, all right, that's when that guy you didn't know puts up his little yes. finger. Or does the eyebrow waggle and he's like, this is where the real yes. money's being made, right? Like these are the guys actually like making the decisions. That in painted this an world interesting that, that painted an that interesting that picture too of like just the guy the guy being so like no know, knowing what he's doing so well that he just like the nod of a head, like he could perceive the nod of a head by someone and mm -hmm. it would just keep going. It was really it was really interesting. It was really interesting. Yeah, they're like they're like a waiters yeah. in the bear. <laughs> oh my god, know? I love the bear. I love you gotta, you gotta know what they need. I can literally they talk say about it. the bear all day, but this is not a the bear podcast. <laughs> we, we we finished the second season last night. Yeah, we'll, we'll, ta we we'll talk, talk about it. it. We'll talk about it at some point. Katie, what what do you want? You not you got another? Um, just my next one is when, uh, I'm not even sure exactly where it is, but they basically like force the Osage to to become quote unquote white to, to try to whitewash them basically. So while Osage boys at other institutions learned farming and carpentry, Molly was trained in the domestic arts, sewing, baking, laundering, and housekeeping. It is impossible to overestimate the importance of careful training for Indian girls, a U.S. government official had stated, adding, Of what avail is it that the man be hardworking and industrious, providing by his labor food and clothing for his household, if the wife, unskilled in cookery, unused to the needle, with no habits of order or neatness, makes what might be a cheerful, happy home only a wretched abode of filth and squalor? It is the woman who cling, it is the women who cling most tenaciously to heathen rites and superstitions and perpetuate them by their instructions to the children. And I was like... Go fuck yourself. And I, <laughs> on this page, my note for page 48 says, 
we're total assholes. Like, <laughs> we're just going to come in, and we're going to move you, and we're going to make you do what we think you should do, as opposed to the last however many fucking millennia well, that they, you've been doing it just fine and They happily. thought that they were taming them, like, domesticating right. them, and being, like, they're savages, they don't know how to live, so let's teach them how to live an actual, uh, per, like, you know, a, a life that is meant to be lived, yeah. or whatever. You can see this in schools all the time that you got to recite yes. the pledge every morning. It's instilling patriotism in your country. And if for a certain person in this, our nation specifically, you know, it's that uh, disassociation from patriotism that leads to all our woke mind virus problems, right? Yeah. We don't, <laughs> I don't love my nation enough. And that's why I'm into, you know, smoking weed and having a threesome. <laughs> you know, if I would have cared about God more. Then I would have gone to church, met a nice woman, had nine children, and like, yeah. you know, go work at Deloitte the rest of my days. But that's, yeah, that's. I mean, that's it's the same thing. It's it's just about control. Yeah, you're too, you're too, right? Yes, exactly. That's exactly mm -hmm. what it's. That's exactly what it's about. And you know, I mean, we had the discussion about the pledge of allegiance and oh, the mm -hmm. last episode that we mm -hmm. did. And like it's just it's just a way to it's another you know the the there's a certain side of the spectrum that love to talk about indoctrination but I mean you want to talk about indoctrination you know talk yeah. about the fact that we have to say the pledge of allegiance yeah. and mean it and stand up every time the, the you know a certain song plays on the you know plays on the radio and look at the flag and put your hand over your heart and it's you know it's 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 and don't peacefully protest that or you lose your entire life exactly exactly and and your means for your means for living in, in yeah. the first place um yeah. You know what? I'm a real American too, and it's my choice to protest yes. all that shit. I'm not going to stand up for your yeah. songs. What are you going to yeah. do? Troops out there fought for my rights to do this. And damn it, I got to yeah, exercise. Yeah, and there are it. some troops who understand and, and agree with that. And then there are the ones who say, oh, you know, they get all grumbly and, and think it's ridiculous. I, I had, you know, my father is a, my father is a vet. And he got he got pissed off at me about the you know the stuff with like not standing for the the pledge or you know not not giving enough reverence to the flag and I'm just like dad it's a fucking symbol that's all it is it means absolutely nothing it it has all it it doesn't have any meaning unless we give it meaning and how can we give it meaning when this country is going to the to the fucking shit house I mean mm -hmm. like what do you want me to say I'm sorry that's how I feel about it you know so I think I think my dad has come a long way from from that conversation whatever but um you know it's still it's still yeah. nothing um i'm i'm going to point out something on on page 113 which just a, just something i thought was actually both interesting and also funny for me and you um it's this is where you know we're we're starting to talk about the um uh the creation of what it what is then called the bureau of investigation um soon to be called the federal bureau of investigation um, it says President Theodore Roosevelt had created the Bureau in 1908, hoping to fill the void in federal law enforcement. Because of lingering opposition to a national police force, Roosevelt's attorney general had acted without legislative approval, leading one congressman to label the new organiza organization a bureaucratic bastard. When White entered the Bureau, that's Tom White, Tom White, right? Yep. Yeah. When White entered the Bureau, it still had only a few hundred agents and only a smattering of field offices. Its jurisdiction over crimes was limited, and agents handled a hodgepodge of cases. They investigated antitrust and banking violations, the interstate shipment of stolen cars, contraceptives, prize fighting fills, 
films and smutty books <laughs> escapes by uh escapes by federal prisoners and crimes committed on indian reservations i it's, laughed at it the smutty is books a literal hodgepodge of yes. um nobody really checks yes. into this See, that's you right um, nobody and really does this I, um, yeah. clearly yeah. i underlined contraceptives and double underlined smutty books because yeah. i thought that was hilarious and also like it's just like it's so like Look at how far we've come. You know what I mean? And yet not. And not far enough. we still investigating yes. contraceptives and smutty books. Yes. Oh, my God. You're so right. <laughs> you're so fucking right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what, it doesn't even... It's, it's, it's not... It's not it's changed. No. It's not changed. I mean, the federal the federal government doesn't do it. History is very cyclical. History is very cyclical. You guys know 100%. that, right? Time, time, time's a flat circle. We will have, if we were somehow alive in 100 years, we'd be having the same debate in 2123 yeah. that we're talking yeah. about today. Except it'd be if you could impregnate a robot or not. Is that morally and if the robot can and carry is that more, it. Yeah, is that ethically, ethically moral or whatever? I don't know. I gave life to the robot. I think it should carry <laughs> it, should it to term. Carry it to term, carry carry it to term. term bitch. So <laughs> I need a nice hard drive, you know, nice hard drive when I'm done with so this. So one of the things, like, I, I, we all know I'm not a history person. I, one of the things that did make this book quite bearable for me is all of the pictures and the fact that, which I don't it's think very it's pictures with an audio book, but that's a whole different sidebar. But it's very cool to be able to, to re re refer back to some pictures of people and then also to see this fucking guy who is absolutely fucking hot as hell. Henry, Henry Grammer. Grammer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep, he is he pretty hot. Man, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> if I saw him in a bar. Um, and then, like, even J. Edgar Hoover, like, I was like, that guy looks pretty, pretty debonair. But then I realized he's kind of short and has douchebag intentions. He's very... He's, he's a, a little freak. He's yeah. a little anal, a little, little OCD. But speaking of him, I did want to say, so there's this whole part about, oh, that was a progressive part. I have two things about him that I want to say. So there's there's a on page one sixty six, J. Edgar Hoover found in progressivism, progressivism, an approach that reflected his own obsession with organization and social control. What's more, here was a way for Hoover, a desk-bound functionary, to cast himself as a dashing figure, a crusader for the modern scientific age. The fact that he didn't fire a gun only burnished his his image. Reporters noted that the days of old sleuth are over and that Hoover had scraped the old gumshoe, dark lantern, and false mustache traditions of the Bureau investigation and substituted business methods of procedure. One article said he plays golf. Whoever could picture old sleuth doing that? Yet an ugliness... This is There's like two parts of this. So yet an ugly, ugliness often lurked beneath the reformist zeal of progressivism. Many progressives, who tended to be middle-class white Protestants, held deep prejudices against immigrants and blacks and were so convinced of their own virtuous authority that they disdained democratic procedures. This part of progressivism mirrored Hoover's darkest impulses. So it's like, we're really awesome. We're going to do really good. I'm going to make a whole lot of changes. But not for you. Not yes. for you. Yeah. You scare me. N nope. It's kind of funny though how like how that like it just like just like the Democrats and conservatives like that's flipped on its head because progressivism now is about uh, making those changes to bring bring, bring equality yeah. and inequity yeah. and like all of that you know like yeah. yeah and then the other part of this oh sorry go ahead yeah I, no I, I was just gonna basically just say that, yeah progressivism has changed yeah. vastly in a hundred years you know. So is the, the thoughts of socialism, too, right? Around the same period in the 1920s, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois was a presidential mm -hmm. candidate. And he was, like, one of the most, you know, socialist 
voices in the world that you could have. And he was a legitimate, viable candidate. It's just crazy that we've just condensed down to just parties, two yeah, buckets yeah. that are viable. And if you're not in one of those two buckets, then mm-hmm. go piss off because right, we don't want right. to hear from So the other, the other part of this, going back to Hoover, because I did, I did like the whole, uh, the creation of the Bureau and how it evolved be- essentially because of this case, mm-hmm. which was kind of cool. Not a super yeah. huge fan of how they got there, but I, you know, Tom White was a pretty awesome dude. I'm not going to lie. Yes, he seemed to be a, a legit yes. hero, whereas I think if you were to read about J. Edgar Hoover outside of this, he was not a yes. good person. He was actually yeah. a very terrible yeah. person and instigated a lot of spying and wiretapping, on, especially on Martin Luther King Jr. Famously, for years, he was wiretapping him. And just he's a really terrible guy, but certainly him setting up the FBI is no no small right. feat, so... Sorry, no, please, no, no, that's okay. Continue. Just right on that same topic. One of the other things about him, just a page later, it says um, Hoover had mastered Hoover had mastered how to classify reams of data using its Dewey Decimal-like system. Hoover adopted a similar model with its classifications and numbered subdivisions to organize a, the bureau's central files and general indices. Da 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 da. Uh, Hoover's personal file, which included information that could be used to blackmail politicians, would be stored separately in his secretary's office, but that's, you know, its own little sidebar. Agents were now expected to standardize the way they filed their case reports on single sheets of paper. This cut down not only on paperwork, another statistical measure of efficiency, but also on the time it took for a prosecutor to assess whether a case should be pursued. I love, so I did a whole lot of lean. I did lean with work. I love improving processes. I don't work for an agency that particularly gives a fuck about doing that or really wants to, but this whole cutting down paperwork and standardizing everything just spoke to my inner lean dork of making things (laughs) as efficient as possible. It's a dream I have. It's a dream I have for work that just will never happen. No, just a process in general. I would just love that (laughs) so much. You just can't do it. So I will continue to um, I want to talk a little bit just because, you know, we, we talked, we mentioned his name. I want to talk a little bit about Tom White. Um, Tom White, like, you know, basically grew up in a family of like lawmen, you know, and, and yeah. he became a Texas Ranger and his brothers became a Texas Ranger. His dad was, wasn't his dad a Texas his Ranger dad too? Was, the, was his dad the warden? The sheriff or some shit. I don't know. He was some, some guy. Oh, he was a warden. He was okay, a warden so, of the yeah, prison. Yeah, saw his dad kill somebody. Execution. Yes, yes, that's that's okay. bas- this, this is where I'm at. So, like, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but it says on page 151, it says the first hanging that Tom witnessed was carried out in January 1894. A 19-year-old black man, Ed Nichols, had been convicted of raping a girl and sentenced to be hung by the neck until he is dead. The duty of performing an execution, which hadn't occurred in this co- country for a decade, fell to the sheriff. So it was the sh- he was the sheriff. Tom's father hired a okay. carpenter construct. Um, to construct the gallows near the southern wall of the prison, the only place where the ceiling was sufficiently high. The location was 10 feet from Nichols' cell, and the con- condemned man, who maintained his innocence and still hoped for a reprieve from the governor, could hear the planks being sawed and nailed, oh. sawed and nailed, the pace quickening. Um, I, 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 That's where I started, only because I thought it, it paints a perfect picture of, like, um, you know, how perfectly disgusting like capital punishment can be and it's Mm -hmm. just like let me let me you know give you i I just want you to have a taste of this every single day of your life and like hear hear what's happening so then it says um 
perhaps because he witnessed this, this is skipping around a little bit, perhaps because he witnessed this and other executions, or perhaps because he had seen the effect of the ordeal on his father, or perhaps because he feared that the system could doom an innocent man, Tom grew opposed to what was then sometimes called, quote, judicial homicide, unquote. And he came to see the law as a struggle to subdue the violent passions, not only in others, but also in oneself. Um, I thought that was, that's clearly a very progressive stance for someone like him to take. Um, because, you know, back then, I mean, you're, you're talking about people, people being lynched by the KKK constantly. And, and, you know, I mean, this is, this is a very, a very real thing that's constantly happening is people, people just taking the, taking the law into their own hands and doing that kind of thing. Um, because they hear an inkling of a, of a black man having maybe touched a, touched a white woman Mm -hmm. on her shoulder or something, you know, it's, um, so to, to hear this white man, this white law man who is opposed to, uh, you know, capital punishment and de- the death sentence was is pretty interesting and yeah. from for back then. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's interesting that he internalized seeing what he saw as a kid, and I guess we we refer to this as intersectionality, right? As you get older, all the things in your life that lead up to why you make certain decisions. Mm-hmm. That's his, right? He saw what it did to his dad and certainly probably heard about the guy having to listen to, you know, his right. own gallows yes. being constructed. And then seeing him you know, I, there because of his, I, I, you I know, whatever. So I don't know. I don't know. And I, I think about it this way. You know, I, I read a book a few years ago about kind of the, you know, a, a vision of how the, the first colony on Mars starts, right? And essentially it's a brand new frontier, So, like, you take a group of people like us and we start a brand new country. How do you do law and order like that? You know what I mean? Someone does a crime of passion, but it's also your friend. How do you... I'm just, like, morally, like, what would you do, right? I'm I'm opposed to capital punishment. But yet, if somehow we were running our own place and someone does a horrific crime, well, I'm also against lifelong incarceration as well because that's worse than being killed, in my opinion. So it's like, who knows? Yeah, so these guys just made judgment calls and they didn't know, they didn't have the awareness that we have now about people's traumas and backgrounds and stuff like that because they, you know, they they didn't have to worry about that stuff. You were a man, you just right, do what you right. do. And so, of course, we're, we're seeing just society advance a little bit now to where it doesn't feel like it's more progressive, but certainly... If you were to look at the amount of people killed every year by the state, it's in, I'm sure, yes, the tens, it is. It is. tens of dozens, maybe, instead of what it used to be. I'm sure thousands mm-hmm. of people every year just getting hanged yeah, every night yeah. for a real yeah. or imaginary you know, unfortunately, crime. It's st- unfortunately, you know, in my opinion, it's still too many people being killed for, for that. Sure, yeah. And because in my, like, in my opinion, the, the hardest part for me to, like, you know, it's it's always very much, you know, what if someone is innocent? Right. What What if Unless there's always that possibility? Somebody yes. doing something. Yes. And you actually witness them do it, and you have mass amounts of witness and cameras and yes, undeniable it's, it's, proof. It's too easy to condemn an innocent person to murder. Like yeah. it's too easy to convict yeah. an innocent person of murder. We've seen it happen on several occasions, yeah. way more than should ever have happened, yeah. and still does happen. So it's it's frightening to think about. Like I, you know, I you know, I took an I took a class. Uh, as a sociology major in in school um, on the death penalty. And like, you know, I think up until that point, I may have been 
been like, yeah, some people deserve it. But after that class, I was very much like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I agree with this anymore. I, this is not something I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in uh, like paying tax money into, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. We need about four more cocktails to really get into the heart of this. I don't know if we have sure. all the time in the world know, to discuss. I know. We're getting, we're getting close to the time. Me and Katie have to wrap up because we do have book club tonight. But um, yeah. I just want I want to talk a little bit about um, the perpetrators of these crimes because it's it's an interesting story. You know, I mean, the story of Molly Burkhardt is very mm -hmm. interesting. Her whole like mm -hmm. literally her entire family is killed. Yep. Um, and yeah. and one of the perpetrators or the helpers is her own husband. And it's, you know, I mean, he was her proxy or whatever you want to call it. Um, conservator, guardian, guardian or whatever. Guardian, yeah. yeah. It's William, oh, right? That's Ernest. William? Ernest Burkhart. Yes. Ernest Burkhart is who okay. Leonardo DiCaprio is going to play. William Hale. Okay, William right, Hale right, is okay. Ernest's uncle, I believe. William yeah, Hale. Yeah. Okay. Uncle. Right. And that's De Niro. Is that yeah, the, the De, Niro De Niro character? He's also the mastermind okay. and sneaky yeah. and slimy. But and... what I love about. Yeah. I, mean, I would just say, if you've seen that trailer, you can look at Leo's teeth and you can tell he's, he's <laughs> not a good guy in this story. You know, like, Those you know how I feel. Everybody gross. in the world knows how I feel about Leonardo DiCaprio. So whenever he's a bad guy, I'm very like, I'm very opposed to it personally. <laughs> I'm my daughter literally just watched um, Titanic for the first time ever. <laughs> Um, not, she loved think? it. She loves, loves, loves it. But I picked her up from a, a, a sleepover, I think yesterday. And she was like, oh, we watched Titanic again. And, um, it was a little, it was a little shocking. I'm like, what do you mean it was shocking? She's like, oh, they're like Kate Winslet's boobs and she's naked. I'm just like, yeah, honey, it's just boobs. It's fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hell yeah. Hell like, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Those were, those were just. Some of us were like, oh, yeah, when that movie came out. also my husband's favorite oh, favorite yeah. part of the movie. He's like, oh, I'll watch Titanic anytime. That sounds great. For about five minutes. Yeah. Right about halfway through. Afternoon. Halfway through. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it's interesting, to, like, because, you know, this journalist, the, the, the book kind of ends at a point. I don't want to say ends, but like the story of the Osage killings ends at a certain point where they're like, okay, William Hale has been, William Hale and, and Ernest Burkhardt have both been um, tried and convicted. Yep. It's over, nothing, and whatever. There's still a hundred pages left of the book. Yes. And it's like, <laughs> and that's where it's cool that this journalist picked up this story because mm -hmm. it's like, he met these people and he's like, yeah, this can't be the end of the story because yeah. people were still dying after yep. this. And there was still unfinished, un unfinished stories as yes. far as, you know, well, yeah, yeah it, it was, that guy was mentioned. That was like the first guy that was mentioned. And I can't even remember the guy's name, but like he was the first one mentioned, but which kind of prompted the FBI to eventually come in anyways. But his murder wasn't one of the ones that was solved. Yes. But there was no way that this guy that was the the, the root of all evil actually could have done that. Yes. Yeah. Um. Are you, you're on the end page? Uh, yeah. I have I do one wanna... more thing that okay. I want to say. Okay. Just, it's more of a question. Um, so there's, there's a lot of murders that are, it's people are killed by poisoned alcohol. Mm -hmm. So, and I, this could be right back to that whole way we started with history. Um, do we think that like all of the poisoned alcohol were fully intentional or, and, and, oh, I don't want to say this. Was it just a, a means that was available because of prohibition, where if prohibition hadn't happened and all of the alcohol was still regulated, you wouldn't have been so easily to poison alcohol? Yes, yes, absolutely. I think that was a big, I think that was a big part of it, that just it wasn't regulated and you were, you were making it on your own. And yeah. Oh yeah. 
and so then yeah you can you can use recipes and everything but at the same time you could still i mean i'm sure john could say you can brew you can have all the recipe right but you brew a batch of beer and you, something happens wrong and it turns yeah, out to be disgusting right. but in the back of the day make a moonshine well hey you got booze i can't I'm get it anywhere it. else what a what a convenient way to But also, how many of those could have been totally accidental and just that guy just drank the wrong shit? And there's always a there's always that possibility that the margin of error there is you know is is big is is huge because you don't know everybody who's gonna who's gonna you're taking that chance if you want to kill this person but they also share a drink with this person collateral damage you know what I mean like but also like people who died not intentionally because like. They were not intended murder victims. Just they were murdered because they were given the wrong alcohol. Mm-hmm. Not the wrong alcohol. They were they yeah. drank alcohol that they shouldn't have drank. Right. And it was like, oh, that person might have been murdered because they drank crap, but they weren't actually. There was no mouth. Also, I mean, a, a good way for the killers to mask right. their yeah, true intentions, sure. right? Sure. Hey, people who aren't even involved in this are also dying. So, like, that takes sure. a little culpability off of off of me as the sole suspect until someone digs into it a little deeper. And I do want to briefly touch on the, the whole, um, the whole, uh, uh, exploding, like explosion thing too. Like that oh, was house? wild. Fuck off. That was a wild, yeah. wild story. Like I, it's insane to me that that's something that happened. And, and that so many people mm-hmm. knew about it and nobody was nobody just said like, it. Yeah. uh, like it never it never got out it was never like until until they finally discovered someone who they were like yeah we're going to we're going to use this against you and like finally it came out um but that was you know i mean the that's again the coroners were involved in that mm-hmm. like all like every higher ups were involved in that in covering that shit up it's just so yeah, it's it's very much like like yes. the mafia, right? Yes. That's how they operate. Oh, the restaurant burned down. Everybody shut the yes. fuck up about it and get out of town for three weeks. And we're going to collect that check and we're going to build a new one. And as long as everyone's cool, we're all going to make a little yeah. money on this. Yeah. Crazy. So, <laughs> don't Crazy. blow it for us, you know? And it just, yeah, like you said, it's a, a vast conspiracy that almost defies our mind today that so many people would be in concert to yeah. do this. But there's so much animus against the the natives and the indigenous folk that it was, I don't know, yeah, right there. I don't recall hearing many dissenters in these groups, right? You had the outside investigators, but like everyone else was like, I don't really know about it. It's like, no, we're going to do it. It's Um, like, okay. I I lied. I have one more thing. Did your book have a picture of the author? I mean, he's... Yes, somewhere he's. I know. I know. I have a picture of him somewhere. Yes. Okay. Why? Because like, he looked exactly how I pictured him. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so funny. This no, guy. that's so this funny. Guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Flip that bad boy around. I mean, I, I didn't. I don't. I only have the audio book. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. I wanna. Damn I wanna man. just touch on one last thing here in the story. Um. And again, you know, you you guys know how I like to read like the mm-hmm. last part of the the of the book. And it, you know, this is again how I mentioned that, um, you know, these, these, these murders technically still haven't all been solved. And like, there's still plenty of people who were dying and, and that couldn't be connected back to William Hale and Ernest Burkhardt and all that family and everything. And, um, 
It says, uh, on February 23rd, 1927, weeks after Paul Pierce, P Paul Pease vowed to disinherit and divorce the wife he suspected of poisoning him, he was injured in a hit and run and left to bleed out on the road. Webb told me that the familiar forces had conspired to paper over his death. Maybe you could look into it, she said. I nodded through, though I knew that in my own way I was as lost in the mist as Tom White or Molly Burkhart had been. Webb walked me outside onto the front porch. It was dusk and the fringes of the sky had darkened. The town and the street were empty and beyond them the prairie too. This land is saturated with blood, Webb said. For a moment she fell silent and we could hear the leaves of the blackjacks rattling restlessly in the wind. Then she repeated what God told Cain after he killed Abel. The blood cries out from the ground. I just like I I thought that was really a, an interesting way to end the book because it's like, you know, these these murders that literally took place almost a hundred years ago are still resonated resonating with the ancestors. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, people like it's not just that, you know, um a person who who lives now it's an ancestor like they literally like were grandparents or great grandparents to them they knew these people mm -hmm. so it's like you know it's it's it was tough to read that and see that and it's like at this point how are those how are those last ones going to be how are they ever gonna how are they solved? ever going to be solved you know what i mean like everybody is dead well and especially the plight of the the native american today in this country right like they're they're just further sequestered into smaller and smaller mm -hmm. reservations that are further deprived of basic yeah. resources and constantly ignored by the government. I mean, it's it's incredibly shameful, but it is very much in line with Absolutely. our entire history. Absolutely. You know, and I would just say, too, that he did leave off to what Katie and I were saying about the the flower moon not being a big part of it. Should have ended the book with like, and there was some flowers with their yeah, heads right. cut off. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah, right. Give us a little imagery there. Appreciate it was being truthful. He really left a lot of meat on that bone there. June? I think it was May. May, May was when he, yeah. right? So yeah. that's when he, she ended it. He ended yeah. it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. Or, or February. Oh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Anyway. <laughs> So just the last thing I will say about this book before we kind of move on to the closing is that if you guys liked Killers of the Flower Moon, which I guess we'll go around and maybe do our final things, I quite enjoyed it as a story. Um, I think it would be a really good two-part documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Totally a good my issue my issue with what a lot of streaming documentaries now is that they go four episodes, which is two episodes too long. Just give me two 70 minutes instead of four mm -hmm. 40 minutes that are full of garbage, two of them. This would have been a really good two-part doc. And also, if you guys like this book, I would highly recommend The Lost City of Z. Because he does the exact same thing. If he studies it for a while, the story ends, then he picks it up and then tries to solve it. Including doing his own expedition okay. to the Amazon, which is very interesting to read. And I, I thought it was a very quick read, but also this is kind of my genre. I love reading stuff like this. I don't love true crime too much. Certainly not as much as you guys do. But I do appreciate, you know, seeing how things are formed, right? I have no love for the FBI, but it is interesting to see how it kind of started from this very small thing to now this bureaucratic nightmare right, exactly, that's every exactly. other part of the U.S. government right now, too. Um, but I thought it was really good, you know, especially if people don't read a lot of books like these. If you're more novel focused, maybe some of our office or our listeners are. Um, it was good. You know, maybe I wouldn't do, like I said, the audiobook of it was good. They had three different narrators, one of whom did the middle part, which was Will Patton. He's an actor. He was in Armageddon. You would recognize yeah, his face if you saw him. But he's got like, and he's got like a bit of a yeah, Southern twang. So he kind of reads like, he reads some of the FBI, you know, the, the forming of the FBI gotcha. parts. 
Um, but overall, really good. You know, I don't know if it's going to have a lasting impression on me, but happy I read it. And I'll be in, excited to, to uh, I, see the movie. I would like when to it say that I am glad I read it. There were certain parts in time where he was very, it felt very clinical in the way he was telling facts and it that pulled away. It wasn't as much of a story to me. I think it would be kind of cool for somebody, which I'm, I'm sure the movie is going to be similar to what I'm going to say. Is the, it takes, It's also going to be three take, and a half hours long, just, just three FYI. And three and a half hours long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's late period for Daisy. You gotta, you gotta yeah. take a break yeah. in the middle. Building your own internet. The but what yeah. I was gonna say is, like, it would be cool if somebody took this true story and and there is enough meat in there to make it an actual, like, a novel that would read very yeah. easily. Just take out all the actual, like, the stuff that the stuff that typically bores people, you know, with minds who just want narrative stories. Yeah. Listen, listen. But I would say I'm, yeah, I'm the guy I, that loves. Actually, it. I don't. I don't want the dramatization. Just give me the real story, yeah. and then I can make my own fictional version of it in my head if I want to. I don't need you to put artistic license yeah, on it. Give me the real deal, and then I'll watch the fictionalized version, which is coming out, and then that's fine. You do whatever yeah, you want with that. it. But that's that's just me. I'm a stickler about that sort of stuff. I too. found myself. I get. I have a very short short fuse for overly flowery documentaries. Nah, man, yeah, just give me the real stuff. Um, I found myself really enjoying this, this book. Like, and it's not, it's not, again, it's a book that's outside of my comfort zone in the sense I don't, I don't like nonfiction books. I don't typically like to read nonfiction books because I find myself like glazing over during certain parts, which is exactly mm -hmm. how you would feel. But like, I really liked the story behind this. So I was very much like, this is interesting to me. Plus it had for me and you, the true crime yeah. sense of it. Yeah. Like there's a crime underneath there, people trying to solve the crime. And I thought that was, that kept me engaged and kept me interesting. Like, you know, I, for me, I personally immediately knew that William Hale was a problem. Well, like yeah. I was very much like, this guy's a fucked up. This guy's yeah. fucked up. Yeah. Like, yeah, this guy, this is the guy. Um, and like, you know, going back briefly, there is, there are, um, there is one section in the book where they have a picture and they're talking, you know, you can tell like, it's a picture of, um, somebody's funeral, somebody's funeral, I believe, or like a memorial service or whatever. And you can tell that the, 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 the picture had been cut. The, it was, it was a museum. panoramic thing and, and William Hale was in it. It was so yeah. chilling to see that picture. You actually have So it, right? chilling. Yes. Yes. The okay. panoramic view of it. Yeah. yeah. And he's like in the picture he's somewhere. Yes. It's so creepy. Yeah. Such a chilling, chilling freaking image. Like just this guy literally this masterminded. Is. It's a, you're not really going to be able to tell, but this is a huge giant panoramic a little bit. people and he's oh, over yeah. here somewhere yeah. and in the museum the picture just like stops cuts him off yes yeah. yeah yeah it's very chilling but um interesting um anyway let's let's move on to our epilogue because we gotta you know we gotta we gotta start wrapping up here um but i'm this conversation has been wonderful um epilogue so with our epilogue you know we t i'm gonna tell you what we're reading next which is um uh Remarkably Right Creatures by Shelley Van Pelt. Yep. Um, Shelby Van Pelt, I'm sorry. Um, so that's our that's next up for us, yep, right? That came, that came from Kate that I used to work with. That gotcha. She doesn't work with me anymore, but she's the one that had told us to read seven, not seven perfect murders. This one, these ones have to die. This, oh, something. People who have to die. Yeah. Shit. I don't remember. I don't know what you're talking the Peter about. Peter Swanson book. Oh, yeah, The Kind Worth Killing. That. The Kind Worth Killing, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, that's not no. what you're trying yes. to say. Yeah. So. What is that? I've got my next book that I'm going to recommend we do. 
if you want to guys have me back on again. again. I'll add it. I'll add that book to the ads on my to be read pile. So I I will absolutely. Is it tomorrow? I don't remember what it is. It's not on our list. It's on my to be read pile, my physical one. So I am. I've heard nothing but great things about this. When I visited my sister earlier this year, she's like, hey, did you want to read this? I said, I've heard great things. She just gave it to me. She's like, take it. So it's tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I believe it's a book about friendship, but it's also revolving around video yes. game development, of which I'm a big video game fan. Ready, ready so a lot of the video games. Very- yeah, and a lot of the video, I it it's in, it, it's incidental, right? Because I like video games. And I listen to video game podcasts. They're like, oh, this book is great. But I don't think, my sister doesn't play video games and yeah. she thought it was pretty good. So also I will say I watched Ready Player One, the movie the other night because it was leaving Max and... I remember listening, editing the episode, and I said, "Oh, I should rewatch that." Man, <laughs> I hate that movie. Terrible. I really don't. Like it. I really I don't like it. That book but... was amazing, and then the movie yeah. just was yeah. not. I, I I hate the old or whoever Mark Rylance is, like the the guy who created Oasis. I just hate how he is on the screen. He's like the wormiest, pathetic yeah. wimp who's like obsessed with '80s culture, and I just like. I know I shouldn't because he's got all this generational trauma and stuff, but I was like, I hate this guy. And I hate that everybody in this world loves no. him and looks up to him like <laughs> no, this super messiah. And yet you're he's saying? It comes off as pretty cringy on screen. Like his, like, yeah. <laughs> Not cringy, but I'm just like, I hate this guy. I hate him. And like, I think the, like the overall core of the, you know, the overall plot of the story, you're going to find the Easter eggs and stuff like that's fine. But him, yeah. like him being the, the John Hammond of the Jurassic yeah, yeah, Park, yeah. you know, yeah. right? Like the central mythical figure is just such a interesting nerd. I can't hate, I can't stand it. And I'm a nerd too. And if I'm saying he's a nerd, that's <laughs> so not good. we're gonna add tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow right. onto our list. And you know where you can find that information for when it comes out, when that episode is gonna come up. You can find it on our socials, Katie. Really? <laughs> <Yes>. Can you? <laughs> you can find us on tick on TikTok. No, not on TikTok. Holy shit. <laughs> we tried not that. on TikTok. We tried it and I just gave up on that. Um, you can find us on uh, Twitter, which I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna refer to as X here. And you can find us on Instagram at to be read pod. Um, you can also email us at to be read podcast at gmail.com. And um, thank you. We just want a really quick shout out uh, producer Chris for being here with us today and having this awesome conversation on this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I really. Good to talk to you guys. Also embarrassing that you like get awkward around me when we've been great no, friends just, for twenty just, plus you know, years. Like, you know I mean, what? I'm just going to be honest with you. The like recording a podcast in general feels awkward. Like it always, it just feels awkward sometimes. It's like you're just talking, you're talking to people, but you're just talking to one or two people. It's that's all I meant. I didn't mean like, you know, us being I'm awkward in front of you. Well, yeah, that's why we've yeah. got the video on yeah. so I can look you right in the yeah, eyes when we're sense. talking. It makes sense. But um, that being said, everybody, please join us next time when we make your to be read pile one book shorter. Hi, everybody. To Be Red is hosted by Sarah Westcott and Katie Willey. Produced, edited, and mixed by Chris Turo. Logo concept art by Rhiannon Kenfield. Graphic design by Steve Pius. Theme song, Read to Me, written and performed by Austin Maffa. Ooh. Hello, Craig. Craig. (laughs) (laughs) Craig's our buddy. Craig's our buddy. Okay.